You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, thanks for listening. Thursday, October the 28th and dawn is just breaking here in TW11 and as we expected, the entries for the Breeders' Cup World Championships in Del Mar, November 5th and 6th, were released yesterday. 196 horses were entered, including Essential Quality, Medina Spirit, Domestic Spending, Tanawa, and Tanawa is one of 56 international horses entered. Uh, 26 of those come from Great Britain, 17 from Ireland, 8 from Japan, 2 from France, 1 from Argentina, Peru and South Africa, in addition to a very strong home team. Uh, Jane Mangan is with me this morning, the RTE and Racing TV broadcaster. Uh, Jane, who is going to be the European team captain this time? Who interests you the most as we scan the pre-entries for next weekend's Breeders' Cup? I think everybody has had, for the build-up to this year's Breeders' Cup, everybody has their own views, and I am no different. Uh, I think Odaria, one of three uh, reigning champions going back to America, has a major chance in the Philly and Mare turf. For me, she was a little bit unlucky in the Prix de l'Opera and very unlucky in the Prix Jean Ramonet this year. It's hard to believe that she hasn't actually won since beating Rushing Fall in the Philly and Mare Turf last year. And I think she's a major contender. And that obviously, Tarnawa is a, a filly that I am a huge fan of. Uh, I think she's been a little bit unlucky in parts this year. She ran a huge race in the Arc. We all know what happened in the Irish Champion Stakes and she must hold a Serious chance in the turf. Uh, Space Blues and Pearls Glow are the one two from the Prix de la Forêt line up in the mile. Uh, Space Blues, it's difficult to see the filly turning the form around there. And I have a soft spot for Mother Earth, but she is after eight starts this year. She has been kept busy. And while she ran very well at Keeneland, uh, some might suggest that the mile around Delmar might be a little bit sharp for her. Uh, Glass Slippers returns in the sprint. I think a case of using an improving three-year-old from Ireland and I hope Edo McGuinness gets another good run out of him in the turf sprint. And uh, as, for the, as for the juveniles, hard to believe Aidan O'Brien just has one representative in this division. That's Glanthorn in the juvenile turf. Uh, he was good at Leopardstown. A little bit uh, disappointed we didn't see him in France, but obviously they had this in the back of their mind and quick ground would suit him. But I think Godolphin hold the aces in the juvenile turf. Modern Games in Al-Bahar. Um, Modern Games, I think, is rated in the top five uh, juveniles in Europe by time form. His run in Newmarket where he beat Trident is the pick of the juvenile form there. And I think Mo- Modern Games is probably the juvenile that I'm most excited to see. As for the Phillies, I think Zane Cladet and... Quick Susie, don't forget Quick Susie, the Queen Mary winner. She's in the juvenile turf sprint for Gavin Cromwell and would have had they would have had this in the back of their mind right back from the start of the season when the Eclipse Thurbert syndicate bought into her. So Quick Susie is maybe one of the bigger price uh, in the juvenile turf sprint, but it's a division that the Europeans have quite a poor record in. Yeah, it's not surprising either, especially when it's the dead five furlongs at, at Del Mar and, and they just rattle out of the gate and you can be on the back foot from... Um, the word go, though Nigel Tinkler's horse, you better believe it, ran a terrific race in it last year. There's a few questions I wanted to pick up from what you were saying. First of all, Ordaria, are you pleased that William Buick is back on board? And is that going to make a big difference? 
I don't know if it's going to make a big difference, but I did feel in France there was a little bit of looking around and maybe a little bit too much confidence as it transpired. Um, I thought, look, her run in the Prigent Romney behind Grand Glory, she was a winner everywhere, um, bar the line. So William Buick is certainly not a negative. Everybody can read what they want into the into the rider booking. Um, but she's a class filly and she's not an overcomplicated filly. She just needs to be delivered late. Uh, something around Delmar uh, can be difficult to do. So if you want to find out more about Ordaria, then you can do one of two things. First of all, you can listen to yesterday's podcast and listen to James Fanshawe. And second, you can log on to breederscup.com and listen to last night's uh, cocktails and conversation with me and William Buick and Mark Tuberty. And you can hear the rider talking about all his rides uh, on all the Breeders' Cup social platforms. He was very good last night as well, a full 30, 35 minutes with Buick, who has an excellent book of rides. What of Tanawa then? She will be getting most headlines in America as regards to the Europeans as the defending champ in the highest profile race. Do you think on balance of what you've seen, Jane, she is less good, as good or better than she was 12 months ago as Dermot Weld has announced that she will retire after this season with Hong Kong a possibility, but no more than that? Look, I, I genuinely feel that she is as good. Um, her, she got a brilliant ride in Paris, but she ran a huge race. Uh, go back to Keenan. She beat Magical. Magical probably a little bit below par, but she came from last to first. She has a lethal turn of foot, this filly. Something that we saw exemplified over 10 furlongs of a steadily run pace in the Irish champion. If St. Mark's Basilica is the highest rated three-year-old in the world, this filly is less than a length off him in, on that run. Um, we have seen her sparingly this year just three times her first run was a, just basically a warm-up for the champion stakes in the Ballyrone and she's been lightly campaigned she just had three runs she's been brought to the boil Dermot Weld in America knows exactly what to do and uh, she's she's as good as any of the Colts and she's as good as she was last year I thoroughly believe that I, I was there at Leprosan to see her and St. Mark's Basilica and Poetic Flair level up and basically sprint to the line from the bend and that is probably the best memory I have of this year's flat turf season and I hope that she can crown her career with back-to-back wins. Do you think we just have to take a slightly different punting view of Aidan O'Brien's Breeders' Cup runners nowadays? I I say this because of that trifecta that he got up at huge price in the mile last year. And because he exposes his horses so heavily during the course of the season, and fair play to him for that, because at least they run a lot, uh, that by the time we come around to the Breeders' Cup, they're slightly more difficult to assess as betting propositions. But then very talented horses can be forgotten. That's not not an unfair assumption. I I do feel that when you get to the end of the season, it's a lot of it is down to the, the horse's constitution. Uh, whether it be physical that they can hold their condition throughout the season and take the heavy schedule or B, you have a love who hasn't had a busy schedule. She won at Royal Ascot. She missed a few engagements. She didn't go to Paris. She's had obviously a few issues through the year and she's actually coming into the turf a relatively fresh filly. Um, we don't have many juveniles this year. Sometimes we can get to the end of the year take a mother earth last year. She had quite a busy juvenile campaign and I didn't anticipate her running such a huge race. Um, behind Aunt Nora in, in the juvenile fillies last year and, and she nearly won that so when you take a Glanton who ran at the very start of the year missed all of the summer and came back uh, in the was it the Dewhurst he ran in and then he came back and won the mm-hmm. Killavolan spot on so 
it's it's very different profiles of of his horses this year. I couldn't have uh, forecast Order of Australia winning last year. He misses the mile this year, but um, Mother Earth is one of those fillies that fits into the bracket that you just described. We forget that she's a Guineas winner, classic winner. She's been unlucky in a few group ones, including the Matron, which was a high-profile interference at Leopardstown. Um, but can you really believe that she'll be at her best on her ninth well, start? You, you know what? Anything can win that race, the, the, the mile. Uh, the, the other horse I'm sort of interested in in the filly and mare turf is love because everyone's recalibrated their, their expectations of her from being absolute super mare. She was going to be the Breeders' Cup star last year. She never made it there. Uh, and sort of now it's, no, nah, love, what, yeah, whatever. No one's that excited about her. But she's still got loads and loads of really good form, including a verdict over Ordaria, including a pretty good run at the at Irish Champions Weekend, giving weight to a good filly. She's going to be competitive if she runs to that sort of level in the, in the filly. Yeah, race. she really is, because everybody knows that quick, quick ground is very important to her. I think her optimum trip is probably 10 furlongs. And... As you say, like she actually has been slipping under the radar this year because I probably think our expectation of her after her three-year-old year was a little bit unrealistic. We thought she was going to take over the world. But when you actually look back at what she beat, perhaps she was just beating lackluster competition and just doing it very impressively. Uh, her run behind La Petite Coco, she, again, was a winner everywhere by the line and giving that filly nine pounds. It was a very good performance from her that day. Um, but it was no surprise to see that she didn't go to France on very heavy ground. Her run in the Judmont International, people were questioning her head carriage, uh, which is a fair question as well. Uh, it's a little bit sideways, but I, I do think America will really suit her. Go back to her run in Prince of Wales. That has her holding out area. That was her first run of the year. She was entitled to have come forward from that. But you just wonder, she has only had four runs this year. Has there been a few problems along the way? But it wouldn't surprise anyone if she was the one to give Tarnawa the most to think about. Yeah, they've just got to get her right and straight and, and moving well for one last hurrah, you fancy. That is um, our look at the pre-entries for the Breeders' Cup. Obviously, there's going to be so much more about this when I'm in Del Mar next week. And I've been talking to one or two trainers who've got runners in the race. Uh, first of all, uh, Dave Locknan, who saddles his first two. Hello, you in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. That's over a mile. And then over the five furlongs, Go Bears Go, which rather surprised me. And I put it to David Locknan that... Uh, he'd uh, bowled the googly there uh, and would the horse have the pace for five yeah um a bit up in the air really on what we were going to do with him um we had contemplated giving him a break and then just leaving him alone till next year um and just key and, and the team and the and, and peter were just keen to, to have one more crack with him and um they fell dropping back to five and just give it a go so um yeah we've, we've decided to go down that route are you, are you training him to try and sharpen him as much as you possibly can it's a get out the gate and go or or, or are you just going to try and let him play his natural game and see what happens um i think we have to just play our natural game really you know it's just been about he's had a long old year so it's just a bit the last since the jewers it's just been freshening them up um we'd obviously been training him for seven since I suppose the middle park and, and then trying to get him right for the Jewer. So it's just freshening him up now and trying to trying to get a bit of spark back in there. But he's always been dynamite from the gates. Um, but he does hit a bit of a flat spot in his races after a furlong or two. So um, I wouldn't want to rush him and, and kind of put him out on his head too early either. So I think we'll just let him pop and see where he lands. 
And Hello You looks to have really quite a strong chance in the long Phillies race, that the Mar race for, for Phillies. How's she done? She's done great. Couldn't be happier with her. Um, look, it's, it's, it's all down to how she handles the journey over and everything now. Um, I'd like to think she'll cope with it fine, but you never know till you get there. But um, it'll be good to get there and get the sun on her back for a few days before we run. Um, she's done everything we could have asked of her at home. She came out of the Rockville very well. So, um, no, we're really happy with her. And I know you are unfazed by competition on the big stage. We've established that well enough now. But for your stable, how exciting is uh, uh, the trip to Del Mar? That's brilliant, yeah, it's brilliant. Look, it's what we all dream of. It's it's why we get up in the mornings for days like this and, and opportunities like this and races like this. Um, you know, two of the guys are going over, Michelle and Jura, and, um, you know, neither of them will have been in a position like this before, so it's great for them and it's, it's great for the team at home. And um, Myself and Sarah are getting a nice little trip to, to America to go with it, so it's great. Trainer Dave Lochnan there, who saddles Go Bears Go and Hello You for his first Breeders' Cup raid at Del Mar next weekend. Now, turning our thoughts to domestic matters, interesting cases popped up from Cheltenham last Friday surrounding the trainer, uh, Fergal O'Brien. Jane, what's happened here? Yes, so basically Fergal was due to run Marquis of Carabas. Um, he was making his stable debut after a 900-day layoff and he failed a routine veterinary check for horses returning from such an absence. And um, an inquiry was held on the day. Uh, Fergal O'Brien... Uh, felt he he wanted a second of veterinary opinion. The veterinary decision was taken to not grant a second opinion. And the the complaint uh, lodged by the trainer is into the handling and communication of the withdrawal of the horse. Uh, he felt he wanted a second opinion, and he was he felt that he was entitled to a second opinion, and it has been referred on to the BHA's head office. Yeah, the the issue here is that Fergal O'Brien has conceded that the horse was slightly lame, so. It, <laughs> It's sort of quite difficult to see his case for running the horse, even though the horse began to move more soundly uh, uh, the closer to the race they got. If you are entitled to a second opinion, then it seems fairly straightforward to me that he should have had a second opinion. I feel so. There's obviously more than one veterinary uh, surgeon at the track on the day. So, you know, that would logistically wouldn't have been an issue. The horse is an 11-year-old. I don't think the, the complaint is with whether the horse was sound or not. He, he just wanted a second opinion and he didn't get it. And as I say, the complaint is regarding the handling and the communication of the withdrawal. So I feel there's a little bit more to the story than we, than we know. Um, and the fact that it has been re- referred on suggests maybe that there was, was a little bit of com- complacency there. That's just me speculating. Um, but I feel on the day... If a horse is returning from a 900-day layoff, of course, there's going to be a routine veterinary check. The vet wasn't happy. But at the same time, if a trainer is entitled to a second opinion, why not give the second opinion? Because if you believe strongly in your own opinion, then you will believe that the, the next person, the next vet, will back that up. Now, Jane, on a somewhat related issue, certainly an issue of, of horse welfare and an international issue of concern, we spoke yesterday about the withdrawal of away he goes from the Melbourne Cup and Charlie Fellows who's had an extensive experience at the Melbourne Cup positive experience with Prince of Aaron but somewhat less positive this year because the horse wasn't going to be allowed to run because of the new stringent veterinary checks he's tweeted today in response to international journalist Shane Anderson he's responded I've said this over and over and over again no one listened Werribee that's the facility that many of the Europeans are offered to train at in Australia is not fit for purpose. 
all those ridiculous changes made this year. It hasn't made an iota of difference. And then he's responded again saying, the problems were created at Werribee. They didn't exist before the horses started training there. Now, whether or not Charlie is correct uh, and whether or not there are, are facts to back up his assertions, Jane, um, the Australians need to need to respond to this and respond fast because otherwise there simply will be no international runners, never mind the, the handful, the tiny handful they've got now. And that is going to damage their reputation on the international stage yet further. Yes, uh, I don't know a lot about Werribee. I have heard as much as the next person. I suppose Charlie Fellows has aired his concerns. I think it's crucial if other trainers or other European trainers have the same beliefs that they back him up because that is the only way change is made is if there's a united front. Um, there has been a significant burden placed on European contenders going to Melbourne um, and I feel it is only right that if one side of the coin is reviewed when it comes to veterinary checks and other stringent required re requirements for horses to travel to Australia, then why not, when they get there, provide them with first-class facilities? Um, if Racing Victoria really believe Warby to be that facility, they need to come out and, and say that. Um, but at the moment, it doesn't look good, Nick, because generally there have been um, injuries and there has been tangible evidence to suggest that it is not a top-class facility and that there is significant room for improvement. Well, still, uh, early hours of Tuesday morning, if you're watching British Time, will be a, a wonderful spectacle because it always is the Melbourne Cup, whether there's big international participation or not. There is a British-born rider in the race. Rachel King, who plied her trade here with some success for many years, has been a complete revelation since moving to Australia and taking her tack there. She's gone from strength to strength. She's now a multiple graded stakes winner, a grade one winner. She now has her first ride in the cup aboard Pondus. I checked in with her and asked her just how much she was looking forward to it. Yeah, very excited. I'm actually just currently on my way um, driving down to Melbourne because we're a bit of COVID restrictions, not allowed to get on a, a public flight. So definitely the, the excitement is going to help me for the, I think it's eight and a half hours I've got to drive. So um, yeah, luckily, luckily I've got plenty to think about and um, yeah, plenty to look forward to. Just before we talk about Pondus, just how, how hard has it been for sort of regionally based riders in, in Australia to kind of still carve out a living while you've been subject to some of the strictest restrictions in the in the world? Um, yeah, look, to be honest, for me personally, I've been pretty lucky sort of being based in Sydney. Um, we were split into, into sort of jockey zones as such and I was in the Sydney zone, um, so for me, I could I could continue to uh, sort of work at the same level. I had more sort of track work and things like that was restricted, but actual race day, we could still do the same amount of work. Um, but then just trying to travel interstate is obviously a bit harder. Um, it's getting a little bit easier. I don't have to do any quarantine going to Melbourne. But I just have to do five days of home isolation um, on the way home. So it's because it's a small sacrifice to be able to, to ride in the Melbourne Cup. And how did the ride come about? Um, I actually just got a, a message from Nick Williams himself, um, and and then again and from Lloyd as well. So it's, look, I think um, I had a horse that was aiming 
for the cup or what's called Harpo Marks, who actually used to be in England as well. Um, things didn't go to plan for him. He didn't pass the, the final scan. So once that was sort of, I, I knew that, I made it quite public that, you know, I, I still wanted to go and I, I really wanted to um, find another ride. And my manager was working hard, sort of bringing everybody he could and, you know, trying to work out what horses were going to get in the field. And then, yeah, out of, the, out of the blue, I sort of got a and when we last sort of spoke two or three years ago, your career trajectory was on a, a pretty r- rapid upward curve, and it's pretty well continued the same way, hasn't it? Yeah, it has definitely. I've had a, the best season I've had um, so far last season, and uh, kept the sort of stakes winners flowing, which has been really good, and, and kept riding for, for good people. And yeah, you know, I've just been. I've been incredibly lucky with the support I've had, um, but I've, I've worked hard for it, but I've, I've been getting the rewards. And Rachel, you said you'd been to the Cup once before when uh, your fiancé, Blake, was riding in the race. What do you remember about the experience? Yeah, it was an incredible day. I, I remember, I sort of, it's, it's always um, a big day racing everywhere in, in the, um, the whole of the country. So, I, I, you know, I've sort of sacrificed a, a day off and, and went down and it was probably the best thing I ever did. It was it was fantastic. The, the atmosphere was amazing. And um, to be able to go and go and watch that and just sort of soak it all in, I, I think it was it's quite nice having done that. And now this time, you know, to be on the other side of the fence is, is going to be really exciting. And I suppose the key point is, has Pondus got a chance? <laughs> I think every horse got a chance when they're in the Melbourne Cup. It's one of those races, you know. It's um, got to be in it to win it. And look, I think he, he's going into the race in in good form. Um, the Williams team, they, they, their horses always peak on the right day. You know, you only have to look at their record in this race to to see that they know what kind of horse um, they need and and how the horse needs to be going to be able to win it. So look, I'm I'm super confident riding for them. It couldn't have worked out any better. It's probably a dream come true. Sort of my first ride in a cup for a team like this is, is incredible. So, yeah, look, I think he, he's definitely a chance. Um, and as I said, you've just got to be in it to win it. <laughs> uh, Rachel King there looking forward to her first ride in the Melbourne Cup aboard Pondus. Very best of luck to her. What's happening in Britain and Ireland over the weekend? Well, top class jumping is what? And down royal uh, in the north of Ireland, Jane Mangan, is where we must start with the uh, J.N. Wines Chase and the return of the Gold Cup hero Manella Indo. We spoke about this briefly yesterday. What sort of opposition is he likely to face? Well, Paul Nichols is no stranger to coming to Ireland. It was just last year's uh, Chelten- or Punchstown Festival where Clanda Zabot put us all back in our place. And he's no stranger to Down Royal either. Memories of Cotto Star in 08 and 2010, Cotto Stone in 2012. But he's hit the crossbar with Rocky Creek, Sylvaniaco Conti and Clanda Zabo in 2019. But Frodon, he's got, at this stage, Delta Work, Galvin and, of course, the reigning gold cup hero, Manila Indo, as his opposition. It's great to see Frodon come over. The King George winner coming over for Brian Frost coming over to ride him in the Labrooks Champion Chase is what it's now known as now. And I'm very much looking forward to making the trip north. You might be going to Delmar but the versatility of this podcast is exemplified in that I'll be in Down Royal to see the jumpers back in action. I've never been to Down Royal before. What's it like? Down Royal is one of the best tracks in Ireland. It is nearly two miles in circumference, which is unusual for this country, and it's almost completely flat. It is a brilliantly fair track, and I think from a jumping perspective, it has 
you know, the best horses often compete there and they do that for good reason because it's safe, it's fair and the fences are good and strong. Well, if Bryony Frost and Frodon win, Bryony's name will be uh, leading the Sunday papers for the third consecutive weekend, but this time for different reasons. Your press room colleague in Ireland and the Irish editor for the Racing Post, Richie Forrestal, has written a strong and powerful piece in today's paper, uh, which seeks to address much of the criticism that has been laid at the feet of the weighing room and the culture they're in over the last couple of weeks, Jane. It's the it's the strongest piece I've seen in defence of the weighing room based on Richie's own experience as a woman who was in the Irish weighing room for many years and to significant success and spent time in British weighing rooms as well. What was your experience? Uh, well, I, I can only speak from my own perspective. I always found the weighing room to be somewhat of a refuge, a safe place to go before you went out on the track and to retreat to win, lose or draw afterwards. Um Look, what I'm reading in the headlines at the moment isn't exactly what I've experienced, but again, everybody's experience is different. I, I feel sorry for the parties involved in the individual cases because their name is associated with every story that is now printed, even though the story is no longer about them. So um, from that perspective, I think the BHA have handled this atrociously and have a lot to answer for. You know, obviously, the BHA would would counter that by saying, "Well, we've had this on the charge sheet since since April, and there are all sorts of sort of procedural holdups that can be enforced that is out of the BHA's control because they're not a statutory body; they are simply a sports regulator trying to follow a, a due process." And um, I have a certain amount of sympathy with that. Obviously, we don't know where the leak has come from, Jane, and it's the it's the leak that has put all parties in a in a difficult position. Number one, obviously, there shouldn't have been a leak. Two, you need to identify where that is. But the main takeout from this is that nobody going forward will have any confidence in the procedure and will have, you know, will be, this is a major deterrent for anybody ever making a complaint again because you can have no confidence in the system. An envoy Allen returns this weekend uh, and is going to be ridden by, by Davy Russell. And I, I just wonder how significant that is on his comeback, Jane. Well, look, I, I, I think envoy Allen has been ridden by brilliant riders throughout his career. It's been uh, a far from ideal start for the Henry Brown head stable. He's had two runs, fell at Cheltenham, pulled up injured at Punchestown. And look, Davy was injured throughout last, well, when he was running last season. And I'm sure he's relishing the prospect of getting back on him. This Join Racing TV steeplechase is the ideal starting point for him. It's for second season novices. He's by far the highest rated horse in the race. And he is still an extremely talented horse. But I feel those two incidences last year just reminded everyone that Envoilin is in fact an animal and not a machine. He was being built up to be. Uh, this could be his year where he's targeted at the Gold Cup, finally the race that he was bought for, despite the fact that he's won a champion bumper, multiple grade ones as novice over hurdles and over fences. Uh, he is a superstar, don't forget that. And I hope, look, he had a chip removed from his hind fetlock joint after Punchestown. Things like that can change a horse's form. So let's hope we see him back jumping straight, jumping fluently. And it's a race that really looks uncompetitive at this stage if he turns up in his best form. Uh, the other horse that I'm most looking forward to as well is Tomorrow, 
We have Zanahir returning in the WKD hurdle. Zanahir was the Cheltenham banker at the Triumph, only to be overturned by Felixios and more. Felixios was actually meant to run in this WKD race, but due to conditions, he actually didn't qualify because he had won a hurdle race in France before coming to Ireland. But uh, yeah, there is lots happening around the world world of racing but down royal is uh, top class jumping and it's great that the rain is falling so these good horses can come out and at the center of that universe yes is uh, is down royal so this sunday the 31st is the final day as you'll know of, of black history month and the most important horse racing event to take place during this month is being put together at lingfield park on sunday and i think you'll agree it's it's quite unusual and quite significant. Debbie Hay uh, used to work for, for ARC, the parent company of Lingfield Park Racecourse, but is now the chief executive of Take the Reins, which is a charity established to engage and improve outcomes for people and communities through racing and sport. Uh, Debbie, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by what's all come together rather gloriously on Sunday at Lingfield. Just tell me a little bit about the background to it. Yeah, we're we're delighted actually that it's come off, Nick. So, um, Take the Reins works with a number of community-based organisations. One of which is called Kick Off at Three. Kick Off at Three is jointly run by uh, a serving Met police officer who um, is very passionate about youth engagement, obviously in the community. They held um, an online competition um, to mark Stephen Lawrence Day on the twenty-second of April, which was the day Stephen Lawrence was murdered. Um, Sunday will be the awards ceremony for that competition. So what we did was we extended it to invite a whole array of young performers, not just from the black community, but from all communities, to come and showcase their talent at Lingfield Park on the day. And it's a jumps race day, so it, it couldn't be more perfect. So unusual that a horse racing venue, while it's a race day, would be the venue for something that the community uh, can really can really celebrate and brings a community that might not have been to the to the races before together. Exactly, and that's what we love about Take the Reins. What we're doing is effectively acting as that conduit between the sport and between the community groups who, as you say, would never even consider horse racing normally. Um, because what we want to do on that day is obviously show these young people just how many opportunities there are in racing and all the pathways that could be open to them from a careers point of view more than anything else. And, and so important that horse racing engages in Black History Month. I kind of only wish that we'd have engaged in it a little bit more, really. Oh, absolutely. But but genuinely, I see everybody is waking up to it now, albeit a little late, maybe. But I think the whole industry now is realising that it, it is incredibly important. And much more has been done this year than any other, other year, I think. And, and I think everybody is you know is certainly getting behind the fact that it, it it it's crucial we can't it's our responsibility you know if we want to reach all communities as as we should then it's absolutely everybody's joint responsibility to to celebrate these occasions and so many racecourses nearly 60 racecourses around the country you know the huge physical spaces perfect venues for all sorts of events and you know, why shouldn't racecourses as spaces be community hubs as well as as well as sports venues oh undoubtedly i mean uh, yeah 
definitely. And I think it was something I was very passionate about when I worked at Lingfield Park. You know, the community, we, we were the hub of the community. It is the hub of the community, as every race course is. Um, and it should work with that community in as best way as it can. On Sunday, all of the people coming, certainly for this awards ceremony, will be from the whole of the southeast of England. Well, as I say, I can honestly predict that less than 10% of them will ever have been to a race course before um, so hopefully that will change yeah if just one of those people is then a racing fan for life then you've done you've done a great job absolutely absolutely and I can honestly say that all the visits I've ever facilitated for community groups over the last probably five years at Lingfield when TTR was still in its very pilot stage um, every single one of those young people went away hugely enthused about the sport that they didn't know anything about before. So, yeah, I think just coming along and, like you say, to hold an event like this on a race day gives you the opportunity to show off the sport in its full glory. I know Sky Sports are taking an extra camera down and Josh Appiaffi will be presenting for them. Um how important has the support of ARC been? I know it's obviously a group that you have a strong relationship with. Yeah, it's been really, really important and we can't thank them enough, to be honest. What TTR needs is for um, for the whole of the industry to help us facilitate all of these types of visits. We're certainly from early next year, we'll be running our first courses to, to enable young people to come in, be introduced to the horse racing industry and to, to get transferable skills through that so that we can then hopefully put individuals on the pathways that already exist to enable them to actually work for the industry. So, But what we do need at the early stages is for um, for the industry's players, be that ARC, whoever, to, to enable us to actually use their facilities to, um, to open up people's eyes to it, really. Thanks to Debbie, to Rachel and David earlier in the show. Jane is with me now and Jane has a tip for you for today. Yes, I'm going to Clonmel. I'm going to keep it local and I'm going to keep it early. The 110, the maiden hurdle at Clonmel, Kilbarry, Shianti, third and five of her six bumpers. I hope she can get off the mark over hurdles for Sean and Con O'Keefe. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Thursday, October the 28th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily. Brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. <laughs>